up against the backdrop of racism, colorism, black elitism, and love, Eleanor and Ruby want more. A chance to fit in, a door to escape poverty. Mm. The book, The House of Eve, the author, Sadiqa Johnson. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. Alexis. This is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Indeed. We're going to do something a little different today. We typically have our theme of the week right away. However, this week we're going to try something a little different. We're going to push our theme of the week to after our deep dive. So instead, we're going to jump right into our context and author. Yeah, I like this change up because uh, a few of our listeners were saying that the theme of the week, although they enjoy it, is sometimes distracting from the contents mm. of the book. And then new listeners might not even know that we deep dive into the plot because we start okay. with the theme of the week. So thank you for this okay. idea. It really came from you. Oh, all right, then. <laughs> well, Kari, what can you share about the author and context for this book? So Sadiqa Johnson spent several years as a PR manager, and she's worked with the likes of um, T.D. Jakes, J.K. Rowling, Amy Tan, um, before becoming an author herself. She's a New York Times bestseller, author of five novels, and the recipient of the National Book Club Award, the Phyllis Wheatley Award, and the USA Best Book Award for Best Fiction. She's a passionate public speaker, writing coach, and Kim Below Fellow. She teaches for the MFA program at Drexel University and is a writing mentor for Story Summit. Originally from Philadelphia, Sadiqa currently lives near Richmond, Virginia, with her husband and three grandchildren. From the acknowledgments of this book, we also learned mm -hmm. that this story took her into her own life and into our shared history um, as Black Americans. So starting with her own life. Her grandmother was the daughter of a white um, jail owner and his black mistress. Um, her grandmother, her great grandmother refused to pass. Her grandmother refused to pass. And then her grandmother married a black doctor who also could have passed, but chose not to. And you mentioned colorism in the intro. Colorism definitely played a big factor at this time as upward mobile black Americans were trying to Distinguish themselves from the working class black American or sharecroppers um, or even former slaves. So uh, this is the history that really sparked what became this book. She wanted to know what happens to people who fall in love during this time, uh, those that end up in homes for what, what do they call them? Women who wayward children. Yeah. Wayward children, really uh, unwed mothers. And it was said publicly that those unwed mothers were whores. However, many of them had been assaulted um, or fell under some other situation without their control. Um, and so Sadiqa was wondering, 
for all the black girls that ended up in there, some with mixed race children, what happened to their children? What happened to their lives? What are their stories? So that combined with her own family history. Um, yeah, it, le- it led her to this story that we are covering today. And that's Sadiqa Johnson. Wow. Thanks for sharing that card. She has an interesting background mm-hmm. and a lot of um, work that we hear in there. Mm-hmm. So now let's have a brief synopsis without spoilers. In a novel that reads like nonfiction, two girls find love at the end of adolescence and the beginning of adulthood. The choices made with that newfound love lead to consequences neither imagined. And in the end, they must fight for their destiny and future alone or lonely. Alexis, who do you think would enjoy reading The House of Eve? Um, When I thought about this, of course, I think historical fiction um, so anybody that likes historical fiction with a bucket of isms and blackness, <laughs> uh, black folks uh, falling in love. But then, you know what I also thought of? Um, lessons of chemistry. Um, the t- I think it might be around the same time period, uh, but it doesn't have black people, but it definitely has isms. <laughs> the lessons in chemistry doesn't have black yes. people, but has isms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and also the um, the history of patriarchy and how that affects the people under it uh, is a is a common thread throughout um, lessons of chemistry and also this book, really. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Kari, why did you choose this book? I chose this book because Sadiqa Johnson is an author that's very celebrated, a contemporary author. And we've never read her books. So I love falling in love with the new writer's works. I felt this way when we read um, Monday Isn't Coming. And then I just read all that author's uh, stories. So I was hoping to find a new author to find in love with, with Sadiqa Johnson. And so we'll see if that's true or if that happened. I believe The House of Eve (laughs) was also on a few lists that I referenced while looking for a book to add to our calendar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... I think this is a good time to take a break before we jump into our deep dive. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, let's do it. And we're back. Woo! Kari. Yeah. Are you ready to take a spoiler-filled deep dive into the House of Eve? I am so ready. So I'm going to talk about this book in three parts. Part one, caking, part two, courting, and part three, consequences. So let's start Mm. with caking. What's caking, Alexis? I think that's like a little flirtation and chatting it up with the boy. Mm -hmm. That's what that is, basically. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, our book starts with a quote from the illustrious Toni Morrison. Each story has a monster in it who made them tough instead of brave. So they open their legs rather than their hearts where the folded child is tucked. Mm. It's very powerful. Um, So this book goes back and forth between Ruby and Eleanor. We start with Ruby. Ruby is at her grandma Nini's home and she's panicking because Fatty was unacceptably late again. Unacceptably mm. late again. When Fatty, when Fatty finally does arrive, all she wants to do is talk about her day. So Ruby is in the house panicking. Fatty walk in and is like, girl, let me tell you. And um, Ruby is like, hold on. Do you have my car fare? Your mother says she give it to you. 
What if she forgot, Ruby says. Stop getting on my nerves, girl. This is Fatty. So um, my cousin, Ruby says, her cousin Fatty, had more excuses than a whore going to jail. That was the quote. <laughs> and I didn't have time to entertain her colorful tales this morning. I thought that was an interesting line. Anyway, so Ruby leaves her grandmother's home and rushes to her mother's house. Of course, the money is not in their secret spot in the kitchen. So now Ruby has no way of getting to school. In walks Leap, a boy, a man who thinks he looks like Nat King Cole. He ain't. He got his hair tied up with a conch under it. Just looking crazy. Okay. Uh. Her mother's latest boyfriend. That's who Leap is. He'll give her bus fare in exchange for what, Alexis? A kiss on the lips. A kiss on the lips. That's what he wants from this child. The daughter of the woman he's dating. So, um, Ruby thinks about it. A lot is riding on her attendance at school. She cannot be late. And of course, none of this is her fault. However, no one cares. So she thinks, if I do this one little thing, I'll have the bus fare to get to school. So she closes her eyes and puckers up for Leap to kiss her. He then draws her close to him and um, was perhaps going to do something more because he's definitely groping her now, assaulting Absolutely. her. Mm-hmm. In walks her mother. Whoo! Thank goodness she is saved. A savior. Get mm. out, the mother says. And a wave of relief rushes over our Ruby. She's like, finally, my mother is standing up for me. That's right, Leap. Get out. And she look around <laughs> and who's her mother looking at, Alexis? Her, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately, her mother is looking at Ruby, is looking at Ruby and telling Ruby to get out. There's a section here I wanted to read just so uh, the weight of this moment is clear. Stopped, I whined, pressing my elbows against his waist, trying to free myself, but his grip was unbreakable. Just then the front door swung open, Leap stumbled back and pushed me away, but he wasn't quick enough. Inez, her mother, Inez's big eyes roved between us like a mad woman's. What the? She shouted, dropping the brown grocery bag. I heard something crack as it hit the linoleum floor. Leap backed farther away from me with his hands up like she was the police. She came on to me talking about needing bus fare all up on me before I could stop her. Liar, I hissed. It was you. Get out of here. My mother put her arm in the air like she was firing a warning shot. Soft tendrils from her ponytail had come loose. We shared the same walnut colored skin tone, but hers had turned apple red. I turned to leap, waiting to see how he'd react. Glad that my mother was finally taking my side. But then I realized she was looking at me. She was speaking to me. I was the one she blamed. Her eyes sliced into me like a butcher knife. Mm. And then she called her yeah. fast and kick her daughter out. Gross. Sadly, after all that, Ruby missed her bus. So that's that on that. So that's where we leave Ruby crying in the middle of the street with the taste of her mother's boyfriend in her mouth. Just feeling uh, abandoned and disgusted. Now let's meet Eleanor. Bright, bookish, and basically boring, Eleanor attends the storied (laughs) Howard University thanks to her hardworking Southern parents, particularly her mother. The money her mother saved her entire life by, by selling bakery isn't enough, though. 
and Eleanor is late on her tuition. To earn more, she works in the school library and eventually at a department store after school. And the library is the most peaceful spot on campus for our bookish Eleanor, especially since she um, prefers the company of books to people, though deep down she knows she desires both. Her dream is to become a library archivist, finding and preserving the written history of Black Americans or Black people throughout the diaspora, Um, just like Mrs. Porter, who's the chief librarian and a great boss and friend. She also, our Eleanor, dreams of joining Alpha Beta Psi, a sorority, but the ABCs are only taking girls light, bright, and nearly white. So don't look like Eleanor gonna make it. She don't. So uh, then we meet Mr. Back. Can you tell us a little bit about Mr. Back? (laughs) Well, Mr. Back comes into the library, sits in the same spot all the time. And from her spot at the desk, Eleanor can only see his desk, his back. And so she, um, I guess she just long to see him what he looks like you ain't never seen nobody from the back of their head and know they fine (laughs) not really or maybe in my youth (laughs) (laughs) the worst thing is for somebody to be fine in the back of the head and ugly in the front anyway that's what you call bait and switch so she be looking at mr back (laughs) you know distracting her from her work because his because mm-hmm. the back of his head is just fine. Okay. Well, Mr. Back okay, is right. also fine in the front. And his name Woo. is William Pride. He asks if he can sharpen his pencil <laughs> at her desk. <laughs> and she's like, okay, Mr. Back, looking in his eyes. Mm. He was really distractingly beautiful to her. Yeah. Back to Ruby. Good, because I want to know what's happening with my Ruby. Ruby arrives at Thomas Durham Public School 45 minutes late with the feeling of Leap's vile tongue and scent still on her. She sits outside the class listening to her teacher and jotting down notes. Her armpits are wet with sweat and her stomach is doing jumping jacks, but there's no pity for Ruby in that school. Ruby is one of the chosen few in the We Rise program. Tutoring and mandatory Saturday enrichment classes are um, handled to prepare a promising group for college. So there's 12 of them out of the 12 10 would be given a modest stipend for trade school but two would receive a full scholarship ruby thought of her mom she thought of her cousin fatty she needed to be among the two this was her way out this we rise program her teacher reprimands her and reminds her no excuses did did you get the feeling her teacher was white was that the thing no actually i didn't i got that because she said something to the fact of we have to work harder. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So, and to the teacher's credit, perhaps she's just trying to um, push Ruby more despite whatever Ruby's going through at home, help her to realize this is her chance and she can't let it slip by. However, as punishment, the teacher says Ruby will not be able to attend a trip. They've planned to shadow doctors at a, a local hospital and Ruby's devastated. She walks outside and spits the taste of leap onto the ground. Then she walks to Aunt Marie's house where all her belongings are waiting. And this has happened before. Like Inez, her mother has been fed up with Ruby and sent her to uh, Inez's sister's house, who's, of course, Ruby's aunt. Um, Her aunt loves her, thankfully, and is happy to take her in. 
But they are very tight on funds. And Amri's apartment is like the size of a thimble. Before learning, uh, leaving for work, Amri gifts Ruby a paint set and tells her to watch for the landlord's son who's coming to fix the plumbing. So um, this is her way of escaping. And she's also quite a talented painter, Ruby is. So she see, she begins painting here and knocks at the door. It's the landlord's son, Shimmy Shapiro a beautiful, kind, white Jewish boy. He looks at the plumbing, then at her painting. He tells her, you're sad. (laughs) It shows in your art. And he adds a bright streak onto the canvas with her permission. When he leaves, Ruby takes the glass of water he was drinking from and presses it to her bottom lip without thinking. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, indeed. Eleanor. (laughs) (laughs) So Eleanor is dragged to a dance off campus by her roommate, who is way more fun. Her roommate's name is Nadine. Nadine loves our Eleanor to pieces. She's a great friend. So also uh, Nadine comes from money and everything. She just kind of get her way. She got her way of doing things. She just makes things happen for herself. But it hasn't made her evil. She's fun and nice. You are to like Nadine. We like Nadine. Right, Alexa? <laughs> yeah, I like her. So Eleanor is making up all these excuses. She's like, I can't go off campus. My teachers will kill me. My mother. And then uh, Nadine is like, girl, she, actually, she calls her Ohio. She calls Eleanor Ohio. Ohio, I got a closet full of dresses. Go in there and pick one. And she picks one out for Ohio, our Eleanor. And it's beautiful. So. Eleanor goes to this off-campus dance with this beautiful dress on. And there she sees who, Alexis? Mr. Back. Mr. Back from the front. That's right. William Pride. Apparently his family's a big deal. Everyone knows about him. He spots her immediately and asks her to dance. As they're swaying on the floor, in walks the ABCs. And it's just like Stomp the Yard. Like they make a big scene when they enter. (laughs) (laughs) ABCs. (laughs) Their leader, their president is Greta Hepburn, a very light, bright, nearly white girl. How do you know William? Greta asks Eleanor. He and I go way back, Greta continues. We practically bathe together as children. Our families are very close. So she's obviously trying to like stake her claim to William. Greta maneuvers her arm so as to spill Eleanor's drink, her soda, bright orange soda, I think, all over her beautiful borrowed dress. Eleanor goes to the bathroom to clean up and comes back to find Greta dancing with William. It's just as well, she thinks. And she leaves. Aww. Ruby. So, uh, Amory sends Ruby away to run errands through the Jewish neighborhood to buy um, groceries. Now, before Shimmy left the day before, he said, hey, girl, hey, I work in the ice cream parlor. And next time you're in the neighborhood, please stop in. A scoop is on me. Okay. Because they they have like an easy conversation going. And for real, he like, he seems like a friend at this point not yet but that's where it's going they fall into easy conversation okay and um uh, ruby is like no no i will not be going to said candy ice cream shop guess where she end up that's right looking right into shimmy's eyes as he hands her a scoop of ice cream Um, They talk for it felt like days (laughs) people are coming in and out they just chatting it up like it ain't uh 1950s <laughs> like right there you go best throw that in friends. there 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Placement of time, 1948-ish, yeah. 49. This is happening. This is not a good look. He, But all she can think about is the way he looks at her and the way he listens to her. Right. Um, so they're on a high from their interaction, from their conversation. But then they meet a low. And that's the boss coming in saying that people have been complaining because Shimmy isn't here with a colored girl. <laughs> Clearly, the world will never allow Shimmy and Ruby to be friends. So Shimmy's father, by the way, is a drunk and Shimmy is the oldest of like three, three, four children. Um, He's the one who's often sent to collect his father from wherever he is drinking and to bring him home. This is how Shimmy and Ruby run into each other again. Um, His dad is downstairs drinking in the building that Aunt Marie lives in, where now Ruby lives. Um. And Shimmy comes up, apologizes for his boss's rudeness and for the neighbors and asks um, Ruby to listen to music with him tomorrow night. <laughs> I know a spot. And she, she okay. like, um, excuse me. <laughs> Check your privilege at the door, please. <laughs> <laughs> he also brought her a gift, lavender paint, so that she could start painting flowers. No boy had ever bought her a gift, she thinks. Pull into the side alley, she tells him. I'll be there. Part two, courting. So, Eleanor. Eleanor and William find each other again. Actually, William finds her. Guess where? That's right. At the library, because she ain't got no life. Oh, that's I'm so surprised by that. I really am. (laughs) He knew right where to find her. Right. where to find her. He says Mm -hmm. he looked for her at the dance and wants to see her again. She's like, really? You want to see me? (laughs) 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 He asked her to join him at Lincoln Theater. He'll pick her up at seven. Her roommate loans her another dress. <laughs> her roommate is ecstatic for Eleanor because William is fine, fine. He a doctor to be. This is Nadine, the roommate talking. And well, bred girl, what a catch. Great job. <laughs> so William picks her up on time. He holds her door and her hand, returns her by dorm curfew, asks to see her again tomorrow and kisses her cheek goodbye. It is cute. Okay. What a gentleman. <laughs> he is a gentleman. Okay. Eleanor could explode. She met, she melts right there in the middle of the street into a puddle and is swept away. Anyway, Ruby. <laughs> Ruby sneaks into the alley and then into Shimmy's car. They fall into easy conversation and she tells him about the We Rise program and what she's up against. Music lingers into the car windows from nearby. Um, He's like, there is this moment in his in their conversation where he turns around, and looks at her because she's sitting in the back seat at first. And he goes, you want to be a doctor? I never heard of a colored doctor before. <laughs> and she tisk, realizes tisk. she's forced to learn his history, but he knows nothing of hers. Like there are great medical strides that were um, made by black doctors. He don't know nothing about that. They make up, however. And he tells her how he found this outdoor spot for free concerts. It's where his grandpa used to take him with his cousins. His grandpa died two years ago. So they both talk freely about who they are and the the load, like what's on their plate. Because they both have like heavy loads to carry um, in their families and in their lives. I can't see you messing up anything, he tells her. Um, He turns his face toward her and his eyes are so warm. She feels a flicker of heat rise up her neck. 
He wants to be an accountant, he continues. He's being trained by his uncle. (laughs) And uh, he teaches her a few words in Yiddish, mostly bad words. They return to the alley near her home. Shimmy kisses her hand and she can't believe this moment. When she walks in, her aunt is not at work like she's supposed to be. She's sitting right there in the kitchen. (laughs) And uh, Ruby, to her credit, tells her aunt everything. And her aunt says, listen, you are playing a game you can't win. End it now. You gonna get burned, girl. So Eleanor and William are officially courting. He's kind. He's attentive. He's attractive. She's crazy about him. It's time to meet his family. Can you explain the pride family brunch, Alexis? So (laughs) when she walks into their home, first off, she's um, uh, amazed by the excellence of the home. It's beautiful. It's like more than she's ever seen. But when she walks in, there's like four white women. There are white people everywhere. Black people and servants and white people just hanging out in the house. Just throughout the house. So she's like, okay. But then she meets the father. She meets who she finds out is the father and then the mother. But yeah, everybody looks white. Yeah, so all these white people are actually black people. <laughs> They're just very, very light uh, skinned id. So mm-hmm. um, they all sit down at the table and to pray and to eat. And then in walks Greta with her father and she makes a scene <laughs> and she's like, hello, everyone. I'm sorry, Mumsy couldn't come. Hi, Mrs. Pride. And then Mrs. Pride is like, oh, Greta, I'm so happy to see you. I love you so much. You're so beautiful. I can't wait for you to marry my son. Pretty much. It's awkward. Yeah. So the father is nice to Eleanor. The mom hates Eleanor. And Greta is very flirty. And eventually, like, Eleanor goes to the restroom, comes out, and Greta's standing there. And she tells her, there are plenty of men on campus for you to rendezvous with. William yeah. belongs to us. Mm. That's Greta talking. Eleanor returns to her dorm room feeling defeated and depleted. Don't let them get to you, Ohio, says Nadine, the roommate. Part three. Oh, it comes quick. Consequences. Wow. Just like real life. It comes fast. Mm-hmm. Ruby. Right at you. A light tap on the front door when Aunt Marie isn't home turns into a kiss, which Ruby will pretend is her first. Because remember, her first kiss was unfortunately with Lee. Shimmy has been looking for her, he says. He assures her, we can be together. I'll protect you no matter Mm. what the world thinks. He's an idiot. He'll also help her with her homework, which is great, girl. Don't say no to that because he's good at math. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, Ruby isn't. So Ruby agrees to meet with him again before he leaves, though. Uh, She watches as he helps his drunk father into the car. So his father is downstairs drinking again. And Ruby thinks to herself, he is a good boy. He really is. He's a good man. He's still a boy. He's still a little boy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's still a little boy. (laughs) So uh, remember I told you that Eleanor needs uh, to make more money to pay her tuition, which she's a little behind on. So she took that job at a department store, the first, the city's first black owned department store. Well, William's mother walks in to the department store and (laughs) Eleanor hides within earshot. William's mother, Mrs. Pride, is with Greta's mom and they're talking about what, Alexis? 
oh, Haji doesn't like this new girl that uh, William has brought around. <laughs> she doesn't fit. And Greta's mom is like, you know, a lot of boys been calling after my Greta. You know, I can't hold them back. So I hope William gets it together quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and Mrs. Pride is like, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm really not into this poor girl, this poor little dark too. All right. Eleanor is Don't not dark, that. by the way, but she a little too dark for that uh, nearly white family. In in Rose's mind, in Rose Pride's mind. The rudeness drives Eleanor into a desperation and fury into William's front door. He assures her that he wants to be with her and no one can stop that. Just like Shimmy. <laughs> okay. Man. They end up in his room alone. And what happens next leaves Ele- Eleanor feeling temporarily vindicated. Ruby. So all the upperclassmen wear stockings and Ruby's like, Amory, can you please buy me some stockings? And Amory does not want to go downtown with them judging eyes. But she's like anything for my little Ruby baby, because everyone really loves Ruby, except Inez, Ruby's mother. Right. Her so, mom. Mm-hmm. So Amory puts on clothes that will make her look acceptable in her mind and goes downtown where Ruby on the street is called nigger by a white woman. Ugh. All little Ruby's joy is put into a ball and crushed and stomped on and spit on and killed. All that joy she had about going downtown and buying stockings ended in a world full of hurt. The hurt within her bruised her throat, she said, and she thought of all the wrongs she faced and her family faced because of racism. Even Aunt Marie's apartment, which is just falling apart, is not up to code. They just live in an attic. That's all because of racism. They have to fight for their food, for car fare, for dignity. Sad. Eleanor. Yeah, Eleanor pregnant. Of course she is. She tells her mom in a heartbreaking conversation. Eleanor's mom spent her entire life saving up for Eleanor's college tuition through hard work, through baking and selling on the street. And now Eleanor is pregnant. But her mom has a solution. Maybe that boy will marry you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the thought hadn't even come to El- occurred to Eleanor but she does love William he seems to love her and indeed William does propose his mother right away says you must be pregnant <laughs> and William goes yes indeed she is carrying my child but I love this woman and we are getting married and Mrs. Pride is like oh good goodness listen at least you came to me I can help plan it before anyone in our circle finds out about this indignity. <laughs> That's what she has said. And Rose does, Rose Pride does right away go into preparation for the wedding. Okay. Uh, but unfortunately, before their big day, what happens, Alexis? She miscarries. She miscarries her baby. Eleanor does. What did he say? William's knees rested against hers as they sat side by side. With the back of her hand, she dabbed away the snot dripping from her nose that oozed with embarrassment. She wrapped her arms around herself and rocked. Eleanor had not even wanted the baby when she first found out she was pregnant. Those feelings of hopelessness and loss that swooned around inside of her were all a surprise. What she should have felt was relief that her whole life wasn't going to be upended. Instead, 
she felt devastation that curdled into anger. What did the doctor say? That you and your mom have gotten your wish? Huh? There's no more baby. Don't say that. I've miscarried, so you can bow out gracefully. We don't have to go through with the wedding, and you can return to your perfect life as planned, she spat. William put his hand over his mouth in shock. How could this have happened? Oh, it happens more often than you think, she responded coldly. Did you even want the baby, William? This whole wedding thing. She pushed his hand off of her knee. What? He looked at her incredulously. You heard me. Did you even want it? Baby, calm down. He took her hand and held it firmly. Naturally, I I was surprised at first, but I've started looking forward to building a life with you. Why? You weren't? Of course she was. Marion William would have been the best thing to ever happen to her. Securing a good marriage and future for herself with a doctor who loved her and could provide a stable life was beyond her wildest dreams. And not just any doctor, but William, whom she loved deeply and completely. Isn't that what every girl at Howard wanted? Why their parents sent them to the prestigious Negro College? To get a good education and find a mate that they could love and build a solid life with? Another cramp rolled through her body and she gasped. William reached for her. What do you need? His eyes were tender and then he drew her into his arms where she collapsed and allowed him to hold her until the sob that she felt in her chest burst free. She had lost the baby. The baby they had made together. And she trembled all over. I'm sorry. I feel like I failed you. Her voice was small. I don't even know where we go from here. William dried the wetness under her eye with his thumb. I'm not letting you get away from me that easily. Eleanor, I love you. And I still want to marry you. Her eyes glistened. What has she done to deserve such a kind, good man? We can try again. Everything will be fine. You just wait and see. That's a promise. William's words were comforting. But for once, Eleanor wasn't so sure he was right. What she was sure of was that he didn't know her. Not well enough to make such a promise. Ruby. Shimmy and Ruby share another kiss before she breaks his heart and her own. After that incident with the white woman on the street downtown, she realizes this can't happen. We can't keep doing this. You need to get out my life with your beautiful green eyes. You make me sick. (laughs) He's like, baby, baby, no, I gave you, I got another present for you. He always got presents when he coming around too. It's like, baby, baby, please, baby, baby, please. Yeah, yeah. So she kicks him out. And she throws his present in the garbage and she just, you know, she gets it out of the garbage, looks at it. And it's a comb covered in rubies. And she can just hear his little disgusting voice talking about rubies from our rubies. And she just <laughs> hate his guts with love. She's like, I can't, I can't stay away. So anyway, she tells him it's over, though, and throws him out and throws his gift in the trash. <laughs> 
one year later. So the book is divided into like four parts. Everything we just talked about is in part one. Now we start part two in the book and we meet Ruby again. She took a a job cleaning with Aunt Marie. Aunt Marie needed extra money. So she decided to work um, in domestic work, which she hates. Um, And then we see Ruby throwing up. Oh, yes. Aunt Marie looks at her and says, I told you you would get burned. And we like, Ruby, Mm. no. Y'all, Shimmy done went off to college in Brooklyn. Okay. I think they live in like Philadelphia. So he's a little bit away, but not a whole world away. So he went back to college for 10 months, came back missing his Ruby. So he's like, Ruby, I got to see you, girl. She like, but you went to college. Ain't you college in it? <laughs> like, I Doing couldn't stop thinking about thing. you. Oh. And so they began sneaking into the candy store, kissing and stuff. And then Ruby got pregnant. Amory tried uh, to uh, arrange an abortion, but that didn't work. Ruby told uh, Shimmy about the baby and his first reaction was anger toward her. He said, how could you let this happen? She's like, huh, what does he say? Come again. (laughs) He kisses her on the cheek and leaves. Ruby begins to paint. Will she end up a maid? Will she end up like her mother? However, Shimmy proposes in the back of that candy store. (laughs) And his mother walks in on them. Mm. Someone has said he was bringing a colored girl back here. And look at what I find. A little love nest. And it's disgusting. (laughs) And y'all all all stupid. (laughs) And so the mother now makes a proposition. Look, little girl, I hate your guts. And I don't even know if the baby inside of you is my son's, which Amory is in the room when this happens. And Amory calls that out like, no, you're a liar because you wouldn't even be here if you weren't sure it was your son's. And then the mother cleans it up right away. It's like, okay, well, look, I have an opportunity for you. You and that We Rise program, well, I'm on the board. And if you want to go to college with a scholarship, if you want to get out of this life, leave you'll do what my I say. boy alone. Mm-hmm. First of all, leave my boy alone forever. And second of all, I'm going to send you to a lovely resort where girls go to have babies. <laughs> <laughs> it's run by nuns. And a nice family who is better than you will adopt this child. So we'll leave that there. Back to Eleanor. She's pregnant again and praying every day in thanks of her baby um, and for its protection. A part of her knows it's a girl. William can't keep his hands off of her. They married now, but he loved him some Eleanor. He be sneaking peeks at her. He said, well, look, that's, that's still Eleanor. That's my wife. Yes, my mama hates her, but she'll come around. <laughs> <laughs> She's been married for like now. a year. <laughs> So, oh, (laughs) oh, he thinks his mother will come around. But there is a part of the book I wanted to read to y'all. So one time um, Eleanor was eavesdropping and you should never eavesdrop because you will hear your slave call down evil upon you. That's a scripture. (laughs) So so Eleanor was eavesdropping and heard a conversation between William and his mother. And he goes a little something like this. So. Eleanor and William had waited until after the wedding and honeymoon to tell his parents that she'd lost their first child together at 10 weeks. Rose gave her deepest condolences, but once she thought Eleanor was out of earshot, she told William how she really felt. Perhaps we should get the marriage annulled and fix this whole mess, Rose Pride admonished him. Mother, there's nothing to fix. If she's not having her child, then what's the point? The point is that I love her and I need you to accept that. 
she doesn't fit. We mm. fit fine. I made a vow before God and I intend to keep it. Now drop it. What do you think of William in this moment? He is standing up for his woman He's as he should. He's standing up for his woman. Absolutely. And you know what? I don't believe in like disrespecting parents. Uh, no matter how like, I guess how crazy they are. <laughs> she has her reasons. It don't mean it's right. But as y'all know, if y'all be listening to the show long enough, Alexis is a classist. So Alexis <laughs> completely gets this. <laughs> now, as a dear friend, might Alexis give me some advice that I find to be classist? Yeah, she has. It's terrible. <laughs> but am I going to disrespect her? Uh, no, that's just her. Okay. <laughs> and that's how William feels about his mom. But he says, we we fit me and my wife, Eleanor, and you will drop it. He's standing up. He's a man. I like yeah, that. And that that's important. He's just he's not disrespecting her. He's being firm about how he feels so he can put an end to this talk his mom has. He proves that he's all in on Eleanor and his mom. He still thinks will come around. Well, anyway. Eleanor's pregnant again. Yay. She's returning to work Yay. at the library, which is good because she doesn't want to give her her passion just because she's a wife and soon to be mother. Now she's going to be a library archivist. I hope mm. I'm saying that right. Obviously, yes. I've been in a library in a long time. So um, she's been documenting a case of free slave memorabilia or what should I say? Like notes, letters, history. Um and part of this story that she's currently documenting involves a freed slave who adopted a child um, and raised it with her husband. And she's like, wow, I, I never knew these stories existed. And there's no place really in the Dewey Decimal System uh, for them to live. And so they rewrite the Dewey Decimal System and edit it to correct it. Because for Black stories, it's only like colonialization and... um Free, slavery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those and are the slavery. only categories. Mm -hmm. So they rewrite that system to be more inclusive. Um, now she goes to visit a doctor. It's a routine visit, but he doesn't hear a heartbeat. And he asks her, when's the last time you felt the baby moving? And she's like, just yesterday, you know, not this morning, but usually he moves around. She moves around more in the afternoon and evening. And the doctor's calm and is like, okay, well, we're just going to move you to another room and give you another examination. And Eleanor feels something is wrong. Mm. The news hits hard. She's out of her first trimester and this is now a late miscarriage. It's her third. Whoa. So William is called because he's now working at the hospital. And when the doctor says third miscarriage, William is like, uh-uh, this is our second and the doctor looks at his notes again. He goes, it might be y'all second, but it's her third. <laughs> William is like, I thought you were a virgin when I married or when, when we got together. And Eleanor is like, I never said that. <laughs> and and uh, William is furious. Does he have a right to be furious, Alexis? Hmm, sure. Tricky question. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, right. Because it's yeah. a secret. And you're yeah. keeping secrets from the man you love. How mm -hmm. dare you? 
or whatever. But her mother gave her the advice to keep it secret because don't no man want a girl that's been spoiled and lost a baby. Okay. So obviously uh, she has a problem with fertility. Perhaps they both have a problem. Like who knows? We don't know. Uh, no, it's her, right? No, it's she's her getting problem. pregnant she's, and she's not yes. carrying the baby full term. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so she's heartbroken. She's like, when I married William, I got the entire world. And what he got was a defective product. Oh, now, he terrible. ain't said this. He just Mm-mm. mad that she keeping secrets. But she done made it into her being useless and just, right. you know, a lot of heartbreak. And by the way, she had to deliver that baby. So that's yeah. really hard. And the baby's foot um, just stays in her mind, that little purple foot. Um, So she's really heartbroken. In walks a nun. And then she also sees... Um, if I could just say that she also sees this as losing her opportunity to prove um, her worthiness within the family or her spot within the family. Yeah, especially with the mother, because <laughs> mm-hmm. William has never given her reason to feel that she didn't belong in this family. The mother definitely has. Right. So in walks a nun with a, an idea <laughs> for their family. Just, hey, I'm a nun <laughs> walking in. <laughs> it's a coincidence. And what does the nun want? (laughs) She wants to help her with her future by providing her with an adoption opportunity. An adoption opportunity. And then they make a decision, William and Eleanor. They won't tell anyone that Eleanor did not carry to term and they will adopt a baby and pretend it's their biological child. And no one will be the wiser. That's the mother-in-law showing up at the door uh, a few days later. And she walks in, Rose Pride does, sits at the table and says, okay, I'm glad y'all, uh, he came to me because I'm good with a sewing, meat and a sewing machine. And I made you a stomach padding so no one will know. Like, Here's what? a list of events you're supposed to go to. I'm going to show you which ones you're going to and which ones you'll say you're too tired to attend. On this day in this month, we'll say you're on bed rest. And that way, no one will expect you for all the other events. <laughs> and Eleanor is like, what? He told you? And Rose is like, of course he did, darling. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm his mother. <laughs> so Eleanor feels betrayed she's never called her husband at work she calls him and gives him a piece of her mind and he's like but mama can help she know how to do stuff that's dishonest what you want from me Shoot. <laughs> and you it was your idea to hide the baby I'm yeah. doing this for you we mm-hmm. need help with that you're welcome I mean I don't know <laughs> so, and later meeting tit for tat okay <laughs> Yeah, you got secrets. I don't, mm-hmm. though, because I told my mama. So anyway, so now the only people who know about this, we're going to assume his father, but maybe not. So we know maybe. for sure that <laughs> Eleanor, William and Rose Pride know about the secret idea, this arrangement that they've made to adopt a baby and pretend it's their biological child. Um, One day, Nadine, the old roommate, stops by. She's going to be the godmother for the baby. And she also serves to, like, update Eleanor on the gossip around town. And part of that gossip is that this big wedding on the East Coast that Eleanor won't be able to attend, who will be there? Oh, that other ABC girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Greta. Who still want William, who still ain't got a life. And this is a thorn in Eleanor's side. She's very insecure about beautiful Greta, who for some reason 
her William doesn't want. <laughs> At one point in the book, William is like, Greta been pushed in my face my whole life. I kind of see her as a cousin. <laughs> mm-hmm. She like family. I want you, girl. Mm-hmm. And Eleanor just can't believe it. Like, Greta's beautiful. Why do you want me? And she fits in into your world. Why would you want me? It's more work. So anyway, now she knows Greta and William will be on the East Coast together. And Eleanor can't go because she got to stay home and pretend to be pregnant. And she is <laughs> sick about it. Back to Ruby. (laughs) So neither of our girls are really thrilled with their lives right now, but Ruby probably has the shorter end of the stick. Not probably, definitely does. Shimmy did propose. His mother found out. And in order to go to college, Ruby has agreed to go to a home for unwed girls, have her baby and give that baby up for adoption. In the car there. Now, she hasn't been able to reach Shimmy for like two weeks. In the car there. Who's in the front seat? <laughs> Shimmy. Shimmy. Now, his mama's driving. Shimmy's in the passenger seat and Ruby's in the back. And Shimmy the whole way is like, please marry me. Why won't you marry me? His mom is like, shut up, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> So they get to the house for unwed mothers. Ruby gets out or actually the mother gets out first. And Shimmy is like, can you please just give me a couple of minutes along with Ruby? And the mother allows it begrudgingly Mm -hmm. when they're in the car together. Shimmy looks at Ruby and says, let's run away right now. I guess he going to leave his mama at the house for unwed mothers. (laughs) She got a car. She can drive home. They can just I don't walk know, away. They're going to run away with the car, I think. No, so. they're going to walk away and mom can drive home. Oh, mom ain't never going to allow that. So <laughs> no, um, he's not thinking. He's not. His heart is just on his sleeve. And he's mm-hmm. like, you're having my child. I'm going to marry you and we're going to have a family. It won't be easy. It won't be legal, but I'll take care of us. Do you trust me? Let's go now. And Ruby thinks about her family and how pitiful a lot of them are and her lot in life. And the only way she has of pulling herself out of that is by going to school. This is a guarantee that on her own, she can start a new life. So she says, I'm sorry, Shimmy, but I'm going into this house for unwed mothers. And he gives her a whole bunch of stamps and he's like, well, then write me every day. She gets out of the car. Now it's just the mother and Ruby. And the mother goes, my son is an idiot, but I can tell that you're a smart girl. You won't be writing him. You won't ever talk to him again. Mm. You must forget him. Y'all must forget each other. And so Ruby goes into the house. Now, this is a house of horrors. Surprise. They are torturing people. They making them repeat things like I'm a slender. I'm a, you know, I'm a bad, you know, just just really yeah. just self-deprecating things. And then they're also abusing them physically. Yay. In there, uh, Ruby meets a cast of characters. Gertrude, who's a lifer and a lifer, because even though you're in there to give up your baby, you have to like work to make up for the money they spend to feed you and clothe you. So Gertrude has already had her baby stolen from her. And that's another point. Like a lot of these girls are in here because their parents forced them to be and they don't want to give up their babies. Mm -hmm. In fact, I don't know anyone in this house that is like, yeah, I can't wait to give up my baby and go back to my life. Don't Uh, nobody feel that way. uh, Ruby. Ruby does feel that way. Does she? Yeah, Mm -hmm. she wants her life of college. 
That's more important to her. And so she, much so she's even encouraging just, you know, just stick through it. This is her life. She's got a plan. I mean, preferably she liked to have her baby and college and shimmy. But since but this she is knows the real it's not world, reasonable, this, right? Yeah, it's not going to happen. So Gertrude is a lifer. That's someone who's already had to give up their baby, but now has to work for a very long time to pay back the money needed to feed and clothe them. <laughs> Which aren't they eating every day while working? It seems like slavery and then there's bubbles mm-hmm. bubbles has her baby in secret and sneaks out with gertrude i should also say gertrude was mean and was like causing trouble she the bully but then you learn that's all an act because she wants people to think she'd never help anybody so her and bubbles can sneak out with bubbles's baby and bubbles is going to be with the baby's father who's her high school janitor and they're going to raise their daughter together Whoa. And he's in on it. Like he, that's mm-hmm. what he wants to. So definitely statutory. However, he, he wants to like have a family with bubbles and Gertrude helps her escape. That causes a lot of anxiety in the house and the girls are micromanaged from that point forward. Um, but there is a moment where all the girls help bubbles to deliver her baby in secret. And it's very heart wrenching. Then there's Georgia May. Georgia May doesn't talk. Later, she has her baby, explains that this is her second baby by that man. The first was when she was 13. His wife assaults her verbally while the husband does so sexually. And she is, I mean, she's basically a slave in their house. She has no family, nowhere to go. And she has to work for this white family that abused her. And she keeps having her boss's baby, babies. Mm hmm. Her aunt, though, wanted to adopt this child and it was overheard that the child is so light because of being mixed race that the aunt can never adopt it. Instead, it'll go to a white family or somebody else, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's really sad. Then there's Claire who had to visit the shame room. We don't know what's in that shame room, but it causes people to scream at agony. And the next day, Claire's body looks dead, although the doctors say she's breathing Wow, and she's taken from the house. Um, then we have Loretta, who hasn't heard from her boyfriend since she arrived. And I think Loretta might be white. Um, there's a point when uh, Ruby takes those stamps that Shimmy get, gave her and gives them to Loretta so that she can keep writing this boy that ain't never going to write back. Back to Eleanor. Eleanor spends her days lonely, having to stay in the home, pretending that she's pregnant. Um and to keep their secret as a family. So William and her, though, are more distant. This is mostly because he found out she wasn't a virgin when they got together and that this is now her third miscarriage. She never shared that with him. Eleanor is feeling isolated. She's lying to everyone, including her mother. Um, Bernie is a new friend. This is a carpenter that's turning one of their rooms into a nursery. And him and Eleanor fall into conversation. He's very respectful, but she's very intrigued about where he comes from and how it pertains to the information she's been archiving at the library. He brings her an avocado and they sit at the kitchen table innocently to eat it. But in walks in William. He is. I like fire. Huh? He is hot like fire. He is furious. What is all this? Y'all sitting at the table eating avocados? So it's not good. (laughs) Late one night, they get a call. It's a nun. The nun says, you have a son. Okay, so just so you know, all these little spats that Eleanor and William go through, that's fine. They're going to be fine. They really love each other. It's going to be fine. But yeah, he really mad about that avocado at the kitchen table. Now back to Ruby. Remember that Loretta was the um, girl who 
I think was white and then her boyfriend's black. Well, anyway, the son she has has a drooping left eye. And so he's deemed no longer adoptable and will be given to an orphanage instead of its mother being allowed to keep it. A nun walks into their room and tells Ruby, you got to go to the clinic. Be ready in 10 minutes. And Ruby's like, what? I already had my checkup. I'm fine. Something felt wrong. So we already know what's going on here. We can deduce that that son that Loretta had was supposed to go to um, Eleanor and William. But mm. because he has a drooping left eye, he'll go to an orphanage and uh, Ruby's pregnancy or labor will be induced. Back to Eleanor. Mother Margaret calls and says that there is a slight delay. They're awash in paperwork. Stay tuned. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so then back to Ruby, needles are forced into her skin and baby Grace is ripped from inside of her. She nurses the baby for five days. Don't get attached, nurses tell her. Um, and then there's a section here I want to read because this is like the first time she re- during this time is the first time that she really feels like I, I want to keep this baby. Okay, okay. I think, though, as she sees these uh, roommates in this house have their babies and cling to their babies, she wonders, what is it going to be like? She doesn't necessarily want to give up her baby, but she keeps remembering her mother. And she's like, maybe my mother didn't want to give me up. And then look how I ruined her life, you know? So there are some thoughts to like, will I always want to keep this baby just because I want to keep it now? But then you're right. Once she has the baby, there's no doubt in her mind that she wants to keep it. Um, And these are her words as she spends her last moments with her child. She says, when they brought Grace to me for the last time, I cried through the entire feeding. I wondered if she sensed my sadness from the shaking of my chest as she cried too, more than I'd ever seen. She would only settle down to suck for a moment before throwing her head back in a tantrum. We kept this up until I swallowed back my tears and sang to her. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. It was the song that Inez had sung to me when I cried for Nene in those, and that's her grandmother, in those first few months of living in a new apartment with Inez and her boyfriend. I remember the way she had made figure eights on my back while she sang to me. Inez could be nice when she wanted to. The song calmed Grace and eventually she gave in to the lull of sleep. I was kissing the top of her curly head when the nurse walked in. She reached for Grace. I held her tight. I told you not to get attached. She said when she saw the tears streaking my cheeks, she's going to a better place. The Our Father prayer that I said down on my knees, scrubbing the floors throughout my pregnancy, tumbled from my lips. I squeezed Grace so close to my chest that she stirred. The nurse reached for her, but I couldn't let her go. Then the nurse pinched me hard and snatched her from my arms. Sad. Eleanor. William and Eleanor are told that their baby is ready. Come pick her up. But when they arrive, it's a girl. They're like, a girl, but you said a boy. Like, that seemed like a big mistake. Also, some of these nuns smell like gin. So Eleanor is like, I don't even know if we want to do this. (laughs) But they look at the baby and she is perfect. So when William leaves the room, the nun says she's so happy she was contacted by Rose Pride because Eleanor and William obviously have a wonderful family. What? Say what now? Say what now? Now, Eleanor thought this nun just happened to be uh, haunting the the uh, hallways of the hospital <laughs> and happened upon her room. But apparently her mother-in-law and her husband had already met with the nun 
prior to Eleanor meeting and learning about the arrangement and agreeing to it. For shame. Three three days later, the in-laws come over and it's a big blowout. What happens, Alexis? Listen, she charged them up about this story. And they're like, yeah, well, we didn't want you to. We wanted you to give in to the idea. You (laughs) felt like if it came from mom, mom mom-in-law, that you wouldn't agree. Listen, Eleanor (laughs) boats. She drives seven hours back home. That's all I'm going to say. She real mad. So it's odd because Rose uh, Pride is delusional because she's holding the baby and she's like, oh, the baby got green eyes. She get that from our side of the family. Like, what? This baby is adopted. And you know that. Why are you saying that? Uh, it's part of her for play play that she yeah, just she always in the seems character. to be. Mm-hmm. And the character she always is perpetually well, in. Well, she got to this to her... To- the community and what she's yeah, in. Yeah, but not to yourself. The only <laughs> one sitting at the table are the in-laws and William and Eleanor. Why are you saying the baby got your family eyes? That's weird. Is the husband so, there though? Is his yes, father, William's yes, father? This is weird. Yes. So I don't think the father knows. I don't think his father knows. This is a secret between mom and son. Maybe, I guess. And that's also <laughs> weird. So anyway, Eleanor decides this is a woman that my husband had or this is a baby that my husband had with a white woman and they didn't tricked me into adopting it and they knew about it all along. I'm going to my mama and daddy house in Ohio. And yeah, you're right. She gets in the car and drives seven hours to Ohio. Uh-huh. Was, that was wild <laughs> to me. Really wild. <laughs> yeah. So as Eleanor is going home, we see that Ruby is also returning home. Uh, she turns in all the homework she missed and finds herself on Inez's door. She goes, did you love my father? And Inez assures her, I love that man more than I could say. And the way he turned me away and his mother laughed in my face, I'll never get over that heartache. Inez has had another baby, a little girl. Mm. And she tells uh, Ruby, it's good that you're with your aunt. Your aunt's always loved you and there you'll be safe. That stuck with her. Interesting. So Ruby goes to her aunt's house and guess who come knocking again? Looking just pitiful. It's shimmy. shimmy won't let go. Shimmy, shimmy, yeah. So uh, Ruby is like, I've been through a lot. And yes, I still love you. Little green eyed white boy. However, we can never, 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 ever be together. Okay. She's thinking about her future and college. So she breaks up with Shimmy for the very last time. It is very sad. Back to Eleanor. As we said, Eleanor drove to Ohio. Her mother was happy to see her. She arrives on their front door and tells her mother everything. Her mother's response is, whenever I was looking at your daddy cross-eyed, that's because my own eyes was crooked. Is this something you want to tell me? And right away, (laughs) Eleanor thinks about the man, the carpenter that put up the nursery. And she's like, "Mm -mm, no, that ain't it. (laughs) These people is really trying to fool me. It is not my fault in any way. (laughs) But I thought that was a really loving mother's response. So the mom is like, listen, I know your mom-in-law crazy and be all in your business, but give it time. That man love you and y'all will be okay. And next time, bring my grandbaby because I want to see my little uh, daughter, my grandbaby daughter. So the mother steps out of the house, Eleanor's mom, and there's a soft knock on the door. And when she opens the door, Eleanor finds her mother-in-law. Can you describe the conversation 
this kind of this kind of come to that Eleanor has with Rose Pride? Yeah. So I feel like she tells I'm trying to remember the part. I think this is the part where she tells her, you know, I've been acting up. Yeah, it's true. But you have shown your to be a certain type of person. And I like that in you. You have this tenacity uh, and you will not give up. And I like that uh, those qualities about you. So even though I be acting like this, I really do like you. You okay? And I did this because we just knew you wouldn't take this story from me. Mm -hmm. And she says, I want it what's best for my son and for you. (laughs) And Eleanor is like, don't be acting like you care about me. Not it's just me and you in the room. And Rose is like, (laughs) no, it's true. Actually, there are qualities about you. I really respect. Okay. So uh, the mother-in-law leaves. Eleanor takes a walk and she walks through her old neighborhood. She thinks about her life. And when she returns to her parents' house, her husband and daughter are on the porch and they all embrace each other in a hug. They gonna be all right. So then we meet Ruby. She's accepted into college (laughs) and she decides she must forget everything that's happened to her. 13 years later, and this is at the end of the book. When Eleanor arrived at Howard Hospital, She took the elevator up to the top floor. As her kidney heels clicked across the white tiles, she said hello to a few of the nurses on duty before walking back to her husband's office. As assistant chief of staff, William had a well-appointed corner suite. Eleanor could hear voices from the office floating down the hall. Darling, William beamed when he saw her and then stood from behind his desk. A woman in a white lab coat with a stethoscope hanging from her neck sat in the seat across from him. I'd like you to meet our newest doctor on staff, Dr. Persaw. She's an optometrist and has just arrived from Philadelphia. The woman stood and reached out her hand to Eleanor. Eleanor shook it. Her touch was soft and somehow familiar. For whatever reason, Eleanor had a hard time making herself pull away. How do you do, Dr. Purcell? Eleanor looked at the woman's face. Although her mouth smiled warmly, the feeling had chilled just below her dark eyes. I'm just fine. Happy to be here. Please call me Ruby. Where's Wilhelmina? William broke into Eleanor's thoughts. Pretending to be sick, I think she's suffering from summer fever. Eleanor chuckled. She sends her regrets and asks that we bring her back some dessert. William grinned. Dr. Persall, would you care to join us for lunch? We are heading over to a new bistro that just opened up on you. Dr. Persall appeared caught off guard and quickly shook her head. Thank you for the invitation, but I need to go down and get settled. Then something on the wall above William's head caught her eye. That's a beautiful painting, she pointed. Oh, our daughter is quite the artist, William lit up. She has an eye, Dr. Purcell said, still staring at it. Well, I better get on my horse. It was nice to meet you, Mrs. Pride. Likewise, Eleanor said, smiling, and then watched the optometrist walk out the door. 
Thanks for that great deep dive, Kari, into the House of Eve. No problem. Before we jump into our final verdict, let's discuss our theme of the week. As you know, readers, each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we are reading. Um, The theme that I've chosen for this week is a look at homes for wed mothers. That probably isn't the right topic. It's really, um, are there homes for the black unwed mothers? What I was thinking about when I thought about this theme was whether there were any homes specifically for black women. And what I found is the answer is kind of there's a section in the book where Mrs. Shapiro comes to Ruby's home and really she's insulting her. And then she tells Ruby that she has a way to get through this pregnancy and still have a shot at the scholarship. And so in this part, she tells her that I want to help you make it all go away. Well, in the rare case that this sort of unfortunate thing happens in our community, we send the girls away. And Aunt Marie tells Mrs. Shapiro. We don't have family in the South, if that's what you mean. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And um, Mrs. Shapiro then says to a home for unwed women who have fallen into trouble. And then she says, I've inquired discreetly and I found a place in Washington, D.C. that specializes in this sort of thing. It's expensive, but I'm willing to take care of it. There are only four spaces allotted for Negro girls in the home. And as of this morning, there is only one space left. We must move quickly before things start to flower. Please don't take too long to decide. And so I was thinking, like, is this place It's not just for black women, clearly, Mm -hmm. because there was only four spots available. But really, are there other places for um, black women in this condition? And additionally, in the the book, that section, it tells us the name of the home. It's called Mission of the House of Magdalene. And their mission is to assist the prostitutes, troubled, lost and fallen women and wayward girls. And. Mrs. Shapiro hands um, Ruby a brochure that's glossy. It looks pretty, but there's white women on the cover. And it says mistakes can be forgiven. Excuse me. Mistakes can be fixed. God will forgive. So let's dig in. There was a time before contraceptives were readily available when unwed mothers were sent to homes and forced to give up their children for adoption. That's mm-hmm. a fact. And it's um, I think at the time period was like between the late 40s and 1973. And that's according to um, a book by Ann Fessler um, titled The Girls Who Went Away. And between this time period, it was estimated that one point five million unwed mothers in the United States were forced to have their babies um, give up their babies for adoption. One point five million. million. So imagine those children not knowing who their parents were and the parents sometimes going to look for them. And the way the book tells the story, they were hiding all that information so that nobody could go back and see. And that's Mm -hmm. how we have. I want to say in the late um, 90s, I feel like a lot of stories came out about this very thing, how the mistreatment was, how people were forced to give up their babies. Do you mm-hmm. remember stories like that, Kari? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in any event, so there were some homes for unwed uh, girls in the 50s, but 
They were not very common and they weren't accessible. The thing is, when it was a unwed black girl, typically it happened from um, some kind of incest or, you know, just a bad experience happening. It wasn't generally a love story. Mm -hmm. And then they never had the resources to send their children to these facilities. They most likely sent them back like um, Marie said to the South, um, to some family um, and the family would care for them. Some other family member and you would be raised as um, so-and-so's child when you're really so-and-so's child. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, like most Sadiqa of the- Johnson's own story, her, her grandmother. So she says my late, so this happened with Sadiqa Johnson. She says my late grandmother became pregnant with my mother at the age 14 and gave birth to her at 15. Um, so growing up, her mother, Sadiqa's, the author's mother, always thought her grandmother was her mother and that her mother was like her sister. But really, she found out later in life that her oldest sister was actually her mother. Right. When she was in third grade. OK, a little confusing to me, but I get it. I think I got it. Well, anyway, most of these homes that the unwed mothers and again, mainly white were run by religious or charitable organizations that catered to white women and excluded or discriminated against black women. Um, so there were like three homes that I found that were open to receiving black women. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is the National Florence Crittenton Mission, and they served white women, but some of their branches admitted black women or they even established a separate branch for black women. And one such branch was in D.C. and that opened in 1914. And then there's another place that's called um, Rosalia Foundling and Maternity Asylum. And it was it's said to have been named after Rosalia Jenkins, a black woman who died in childbirth at the asylum. But I saw some conflicting information that that might not be actually the case. Okay. In any event, this place accepted women of all races and religion and provided them with education, training and placement services. And then there was actually a facility in the in Chicago, Illinois, and that is the Phyllis Wheatley home. And actually, um, as of 2021, that home still exists, but it's um, in disrepair and they're raising money to Mm. um, keep it as a historical building. In any event, it was a home for young working women in Chicago that had migrated from the South and it was affiliated with the YWCA and It was one of the few organizations that welcomed black women and it had a maternity department to serve the unwed mothers and their babies. Mm -hmm. So while these homes exist, it it doesn't um, mean they were treated any better. Um, The misleading, the lies that were told, if you recall in the book, it mentions how um, they say they tell uh, Eleanor that the baby is coming from a good home, good family. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but actually, yeah, the mother is excited to um, exactly. give her child to Eleanor and William. Yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, they gave a lot of um, false pretense, and again, a lot of um, punishment to these girls for being in their condition. It wasn't a, a good situation to be in to be put in these homes. They weren't loved and nurtured. 
and in a positive way. And especially if they were black, if you recall in the book, they're um, the black women were treated and given less food than the white women. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I just wanted to see if the homes exist. They did exist, um, but it doesn't there's nowhere that indicates that they were treated any different. And there was still the discrimination that existed. So that's I just kind of wanted to touch on that within the book. But there was an interesting point that came up. The librarian at the college Mm -hmm. is a real person. And she went on to create um, within that Dewey Decimal System, this process that we all use. I don't know. Do we still? I guess we still Mm -hmm. use it. (laughs) <laughs> we have computers no, now. We go Alexis. to the libraries. We still go to the libraries. It's in the computer, but it's still the same system that organizes and categorizes the way um, books should be in the library. So that's all I have for our Thank you theme for of that. the week. Oh, that's so eye-opening. And these homes seem to be so cruel. In um, our yeah, book, cruel. there's even a point where soon after this labor was induced, she's made to do jumping jacks and running. And the idea is to return these girls home without the baby weight. Yes. So they so, just have baby uh, babies under difficult circumstances and now they have to exercise. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these were not ideal situations. Not at all. They um, not happy. And it just was bad all around because years down the line, as you know, they these parents are looking for their children or the children are looking for their parents mm-hmm. and they're hiding this information so that everything is a secret. So, mm-hmm. well, that's again, that's what I have for the theme of the week. Um, Kari, are you ready to dive into our final verdict? Absolutely. Alexis, what is your final verdict of The House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson? Is this a book you enjoyed and would you recommend it? So actually, I did enjoy this book. Um, I I was all in with the story. I loved hearing about um, going to college, finding this romance. I guess that was the idea. You go to college, you find a man, you get <laughs> married, and you have babies. And then I was really saddened by uh, Ruby's story, but it was a good story. I was fully engaged with it. Um, and I would love to read this book again. So I would definitely um, recommend the book and I would read it again. How about you, Kari? What's your final verdict and would you recommend this book? Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the story. I agree with you. I love how we fall in love with each character, sometimes bouncing back and forth. You, you feel like when the narrative is told in this way, oh, I have to pry myself away from my favorite character to revisit this character that I only kind of cared about. But in The House of Eve, I cared about both Eleanor and Ruby equally. And I found it unput downable. I was really wrapped into their stories. I thought the moments when they're dating was just so sweet, so cute. And she really captured how the each young woman felt in those moments. Um, I really felt what Ruby was up against and how she needed to make a way out for herself. Um, I appreciated Eleanor's story and how she married into this family Uh, with colorism and classism issues, but her husband loved her and she loved him and they were going to make a way. Um, But her body was betraying her in a way. So uh, that pain 
um, I really uh, thought was told, relayed really well to the reader. Um, so it's it's not overly heavy. It's not overly preachy, but it gets its points across in a way that is very entertaining. Um, so I thought it, she did a great job. I really love the story. The pacing was brilliant um, and it, it felt good at the end. Uh, you know that they'll eventually meet each other. And at the end, you're like, you know, will there be something in the child that Ruby recognizes, because obviously they're going to meet. What a coincidence, but not really. Right. Because both William and Ruby are doctors, so they might start, you know, being in the same circles. It's going to be very interesting. But I thought the story ended at a perfect place. And yeah. yes, this is definitely a book I would recommend. I would say that there are moments of intimacy that may be um, too much for some readers. Uh, but aside from that, this is definitely a book I would share with friends. So uh, that's that. Uh, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> you know, I, there were actually um, a couple of times where I thought like I was really rooting for Eleanor to have her own baby. I'm like, well, is there going to be like a turnaround where she does try and she I has the same I, thing? What do they call it? A rainbow baby when you have when you're pregnant after several miscarriages mm-hmm. and it goes, well, whatever it's called. I was just rooting for her. I wanted, and that never came out. So, but it, and the way it worked out, I thought was um, very well done. And then I was also rooting even with, even with all the foolishness for Ruby to and get Shimmy. together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, come on. Let, let in another in. world. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But in another world, but that didn't happen either. And that was okay because I, I the story was good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very good. Thanks, Kari, for that selection. No what are problem. we reading next week? We're reading Yellow Face by R.F. Kang. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by me, Alexis Anaria, and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And leave a comment on Apple and, Pot and Spotify about why you absolutely love us because we love you too. We love you guys. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, please tell a friend about Lit Society. We're trying to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, visit LitSocietyPod.com for our show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Read something. <laughs>